Hello and welcome everybody. My name is Christina Shedrina and in today's episode we are talking about a very interesting and important topic. Kira Sutherland and Benjamin Young have joined me from Ottawa's Cancer Research Institute to discuss the culture of bodybuilding, focusing mainly on women in the industry, and also talk about the flourishing influencers market and fitness industry and the risk it poses to millions of social media users every day. Hello Ben, hello Kira. Hi, thanks for having us. We're excited to answer your questions. Well, thank you so much for sparing time and talking to me today. How are you doing? Good, how are you? I am very good, thank you. So, um, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourselves? Uh, sure, my name is Ben Young and uh, I have a PhD in molecular biology. So, disclaimer, I am not anywhere having credentials with regarding talking about training or exercise science or anything like that. I'm just a big enthusiast. I think I've been training for about seven years now, roughly, and a couple of different sports, but uh, yeah, I'm just a uh, big training enthusiast is the best way I can put, label myself. Great, and I'm Kira, like you said earlier. I'm a master's student, and I study microbiology and immunology. Um, again, like I like just like Ben, I'm not necessarily focused on studying exercise physiology or things like that, but we do dabble a little bit that in our studies a touch just a touch um but it's mainly i'm just a, an enthusiast um i've been training i guess for like almost 10 years i guess yeah around like i'm just under 10 years no nothing super competitive more just for my personal fun. yeah for <laughs> fun but definitely a long time and i've tried a lot of different styles from powerlifting to weightlifting etc and how do you, do people usually react whenever you tell them that you are into powerlifting, weightlifting, and stuff like that? I guess I get like a range of reactions. Um, it's kind of funny. Like some people ask me, like Ben and I, when we first became friends, he asked me if I lifted because he's like, "You look <laughs> like you lift." Um, other people, I just because you do it so much. Like when you're interested in it, you do it. Like it's a huge part of your life. So. Of course, when you, people are like, oh, what do you do today? You're like, well, I went to the gym. And they're like, oh, really? They get more into it. Um, some people are, like, really impressed. Like, I should do that. Other people are like, I can't do that. And then, you know, you get some people who are like, oh, I can't believe you, like, lift weights and stuff. Like, they expect me to just purely do cardio. So I have received the entire array of reactions you could possibly get. And when did your interesting powerlifting and working out start it? Uh, for me, it started, I guess, when I was around like 13, 14. At the time, I was boxing, and I started competing in boxing, and I wanted to be more competitive, I guess. So I started looking into the fitness aspects of it, and I did that through Instagram, actually. And then at that time was when the fitness craze on Instagram really started to take off. Like It was kind of like in its like, infancy almost. And so it changed from, like, I want to be competitive boxer to be, like, I want to be, like, a fit girl. Like, I want to, like, look and feel like this because of Instagram. And then I kind of just plummeted down, like, a rabbit hole of, of fitness and then into lifting and all that over the years. And throughout these years, have you ever experienced any health issues or, like, long-lasting problems, either due to your workout routine, either strict diet or something like that? Okay, like I guess from being into fitness for so long, especially as a woman, the whole diet culture of it is pretty prevalent. Like it's 
nothing, if you can't really avoid it, especially with the whole fact that I started with Instagram. Um, like originally boxing and competing and then doing fitness, I had to like be strict with calories and what I ate so I could meet a weight class and stuff like that. And I wouldn't say I've had any lasting health issues, but it's definitely hard on your body, like doing things like that where you're really strict with your calories and your diet. So starting with that, like you just, your body just gets stressed, right? And then it's not the best for performance. Like you'll lose strength all of a sudden. You're like, why am I losing strength? It's like, well, you're not eating effectively. I have done like types of diets throughout the years. Like I've done keto, which um, I know is an interest of yours. I've done things like the paleo diet. Like I've been vegan for a month. Like I, it's, I find food, something kind of fun, like diet, stuff like that, something kind of fun to challenge myself and play around with. So I've, try, I've tried a lot of it. None have had any lasting effects, but I've definitely had lasting lessons learned from doing all of these. Those being the ultimate diet I've ever found is just, just trying to be healthy and then eat how your body needs to be fed, essentially. Yeah, and the reason why I asked this question it was because um, I think it's really important to clarify that these stereotypes that people had against women in bodybuilding, powerlifting, and like fitness industry overall, years ago, it's not relevant anymore. And uh, speaking of stereotypes, I just wanted to ask you both, how do you think people see women in the industry right now? What is their image? And um, how do you think this image is going to change in the nearest future, like next five years or so? It's an interesting question, especially since I've come from starting at a young age when fitness started to become kind of like a trend. Like I would say it's a trend now. There's a lot of people like my age, younger, older, who are into fitness and it's like a big part of their life. Whereas I feel when I first started, of course, people like that still existed, but it wasn't as popularized. So like watching the progression of how women were seen is very interesting. Like I have memories when I was in high school, I had like a six pack because I worked out a lot. And like guys would be like, oh, girls with muscles are gross. Like, why would you ever want a girl with a six pack? And now girls with muscles, whether it's they have a six pack or not, and they just have like really big legs or really big arms. It's instead of being seen as like that girl's like, why would she want to look like a man? She's gross. Now it's seen as, oh, she's really strong. Oh, that girl must be really fit. She must do like sports. So I think it's a very positive change that's happened. I still think there's some stigma um, that maybe girls feel themselves or society kind of puts on them of being maybe too manly, especially in powerlifting because powerlifting is less so about looking like lean and sculptured and more about just being strong so you look a bit like thicker and have more muscles. Um, but it's definitely less, I think. And I think it's going to progress into being more accepted. And um, I think that's a general theme that even outside of the fitness in industry and just towards women in general is being seen, which is, which is nice. Women's body image and whatnot being more positive. Yeah, I, I think women's, women's bodybuilding tends to go through like phases. So I think like there's, there are trends, especially with like social media nowadays. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you can remember a few years back, there was a whole trend of like having a thigh gap, which was just being really thin, essentially, was the only way to achieve that. And then now it kind of swung the other way, where it's like being thick is like highly desirable. So having like 
big duty, big legs is uh, seen as a desirable trait. Uh, so I think, and I don't think this is like isolated to women. I think this applies to men too. Mm -hmm. But I think like just in general, I think it's really uh, you have to be extremely careful with regards to like how you view yourself uh, when you're going down this like bodybuilding route because trends change very quickly, and then yeah, that's a good all point. of a sudden like your self worth changes because of that. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really important to be independent of what the like this like cultural trends are yeah. because they they change all the time. So. Yeah, that really is a great point. And uh, I just wanted to quickly refer to another stereotype, which is the usage of performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, it's actually not a secret that lots of people think that those who constantly compete and perform on stage wouldn't be able to achieve these amazing results and this amazing shape without, um, without using PEDs, right? So my question to you is, how common do you think the usage of PEDs is in the industry right now? Like, how relevant is this stereotype nowadays? I can only speak from personal experience, not necessarily, like, stats and things. And it's honestly, like, it's hard to tell for me personally. For example, I know for a fact that one gym that I started at, like, so many of the people there used performance-enhancing drugs. A couple of them competed um, in leagues for bodybuilding that are okay to be on steroids. Like there's the separation, those can be on steroids and those cannot, like there's competitions for both. And so that was very popular in that culture there, but then going to other gyms, it feels like it's not there at all. And there's of course leagues that are okay with steroid use and leagues for powerlifting that aren't okay with steroid use. So there's a lot of gray area everywhere too. For example, like in the leagues that aren't okay with it, you assume, that those people aren't using steroids, but with how convoluted the science can be with all that, it's like, can you say for sure? So the overarching answer I have is honestly, who knows? <laughs> but maybe it's because I don't have enough direct experience. What do you think? Uh, I think nowadays it's pretty prevalent. Mm -hmm. Like PEDs are pretty easy to get. Like it's not as under the table. And it's not even steroids. Like SARMs are super easy mm -hmm. to get. Like you can just wear them online and there's no real regulation about it. Um, I think it really depends what you're doing. So for example, I used to go to like a powerlifting focused gym and I'd say a good chunk of the members there are on, on PEDs. Mm -hmm. Like I personally, I'm not on any PEDs because I'm not competing or, or doing anything like other than for fun. So it doesn't really matter to me, but for those guys and ladies too, like I to completely understand their perspective because they're competing. So they're trying to be the best that they can be. And they've made their personal decision to be on PEDs mm -hmm. and accepted some of those consequences. So I personally have no problem with that. Um, in terms of like, like general population, you know, there's a lot of people that do take steroids and they don't look like they take steroids because mm -hmm. they don't like the steroids will help you be like get, unlock your potential to become like to build a lot of mass. But if you train like crap and you don't eat or sleep well, like you're just not going to get those results. Yeah. So I don't think they're like a magic pill that you can take and all of a sudden become like this crazy body. Uh, and especially, there's just so many different PEDs nowadays, like who knows what, what people take. Yeah, so, this is true. Uh, you have actually made a very interesting point, a very important one, I would say, that the uh, PEDs are nowadays available to literally everybody and there are no regulations in terms of that. 
And uh, that brings us to another topic that I wanted to talk to you about, which is the topic of the influencers market. So I wanted to ask you if you have ever seen influencers on social media, like probably Instagram is the most popular platform for it right now. So have you ever seen influencers that don't really look trustworthy enough or then they don't look educated enough on special on certain topics, but at the same time, they talk about these topics in their posts and they promote different kind of supplements, powders, pills, and uh, I don't know, vitamins to their huge audiences. If so, what is your what is your take on that? How do you feel about this type of marketing? Uh, I've personally experienced this. Like I've never fallen down the rabbit hole of believing in stuff like that, but I've seen it from things like like gummies for your hair or fat burners to things like um, it's some kind of tea that makes you like skinny and things like that. And, and I, I have so many mixed feelings about it because supplements aren't regulated whatsoever. And so it's kind of hard not to blame the influencer for doing it. Like I get it. You're trying to make money. These aren't things that are seen as drugs. So you might not have that moral aspect to it, but as an influencer, you should understand that there's so many influence, like influenceable children or other people who maybe aren't educated on the topic that you're reaching that you need to give the caveat that, Hey, these aren't drugs. These aren't like magic pills. These could be potentially dangerous. Also, just the fact that even the influencers themselves probably aren't educated on the potential dangers of supplements, which is huge. There's so many off-target things that supplements can do by like affecting your drugs that your doctor prescribes you. A supplement can alter how that works, and that can cause health problems. So, yeah, on one hand, I can't blame them because in their mind, maybe – they don't see it as drugs and they're just trying to make money and they don't understand the harm. But on the other hand, being an influencer means you have to understand the responsibility of your reach and you need to properly educate yourself and others. So it's, yeah, it's a nasty situation for sure. Very unsafe. I think. Basically nowadays it's like, if you look good, then uh, a naive consumer will think, Oh, they look good because of that. Yeah. And then try to purchase that supplement in mm-hmm. order to get to try to attain that particular body type or whatever. Um, but I think it's, it's particularly insidious because like it promotes this kind of like endless buying of supplements. And there's so many different influencers out there that do this. Um, I don't really need to name anyone, but um, I think it, you just have to be really careful as someone who's a consumer because you really don't know what, the, what their intentions are when they try to sell you a supplement. I think like, out of all the supplements I have been tested out there, and, and like the, the only supplement that is actually has been proven to actually really do anything is like creatine. Yeah. Like that's the only one that's been like time tested that it actually does something in terms of performance. But and it's not dangerous. It's, no, it's like Which it's is, natural yeah. body like mm-hmm. energy source. But even I'm things like, like BCAAs, which you see all the time nowadays, is like literally protein. Any protein source, you can get that. But it's marketed as this like, ooh, super scientific yeah. thing that like, really helps with recovery. But it's like, just need to be careful. There's just too much stuff out there. Yeah, I just feel bad for people who are taking advantage of the situation because they don't even know that they, but they don't know what they don't know, right? Yeah. Like they don't know that they're being misled. They don't know that. A lot of people, I feel, don't understand the fact that supplements can be really dangerous with 
your health, whether it's altering your other drugs or whatnot, and they won't even talk to their doctors about it. So it's, it's also within the definition of the name. It's a supplement. Like it's not necessary. It's yeah. an extra thing you can have, but if you don't have it, you can still be okay. I think most people try to take a shortcut and yeah. use a supplement instead of like focus on eating well and trying to sleep well. Like if anything, if you focus on those, you really don't need any supplements. So. Unless the doctor prescribes it. Yes. I guess. <laughs> You've touched upon a very important point, which is the importance of thinking how safe it actually is to buy different supplements and uh, drugs from different influencers. And uh, when I was actually getting ready for this interview, I was doing research and uh, I have read that lots of people, in fact, don't even know how to take vitamins properly. Like uh, they take them on the empty stomach and uh, then it irritates their gastrointestinal tract. And then people experience different symptoms from, um, I don't know, stomach aches to nausea. So if such a so-called harmless thing as vitamin can affect our body in this way, then what other stuff like supplements and BEDs can do to us? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, th I think it's important to note that vitamins are not harmless. Yeah. When they're not taken, like you can overdose on vitamins and you can die from taking really? them. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you can overdose on vitamin K easily. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this kind of thing, but, like, you're never supposed to eat, like, polar bear liver because you're, like, OD on vitamin A, mm -hmm. even if you take a small bite, you know, overdose on it. So it's not, like, vitamins are essential for life, yes, but you, too much of it can kill you, just like water. Like, you can die from drinking too much water. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to know the dose, like, the dosage is the most important thing for any, uh, any supplement or any, chemicals that you put into your body. So. Yeah, just like the first thing you ever learn in any pharmacology course is just anything can be a poison. Yeah. It's all the dose, like no matter what it is. I have recently read an article uh, that um, more than 23,000 of people annually are being sent to ERs in the US because of the wrongful usage of supplements and vitamins and stuff like this. And the majority of these people that come into the ERs are young people. And they suffer from various symptoms, starting from vomiting, dizziness and headaches to chest pains and heart palpations. Uh, so keeping this in mind, what do you think about the FDA's approach of considering food supplements safe until proven otherwise? Is this a right thing to do or no? That's a really hard question to answer. Would, do you have an opinion? Like how the right approach is seeing supplements as safe until proven otherwise by the FDA? It's probably, it's probably the wrong way to, it's to wrong. do this. It's, yeah, regardless, like in that situation, you're going to get bad results. Like things are going to be bad, but I understand from a business standpoint, I guess, like from a government policy point where it's so hard to screen everything coming through but you also don't want to limit things. Like you're, you're stuck not wanting to limit companies or limit supplements. Like you're in a really weird ethical gray zone, which could be difficult. I don't know if I would say that's ethical. Or not, not ethical, problem, sorry, sorry. A really, economic. Yeah, economical gray zone. In yeah. Yes, you're right. That is, the ethical option would just be don't, don't allow them. Yeah. But as a company, you can't really do that. Okay, and uh, what do you think about the FDA's policy in terms of new food supplements. 
from what I've read, a dietary supplement is considered new if there is an unknown ingredient, meaning that this ingredient has never been used in a supplement before. Uh, and as I understand, the manufacturer is supposed to provide um, proofs that this supplement is safe, but at the same time, this manufacturer is not legally obligated to test the supplement in clinical trials. So with that in mind, how people, how are people supposed to know that what they're buying on the store shelf is uh, safe and it's not going to harm them? They don't. <laughs> they don't well, know. Well, I, I would assume that those companies would just refer to like some other studies where they have used those supplements uh, and tested them in some sort of trial, right? Because like for them, the incentive too is like, in order to sell or market their supplement as something that can be used to improve yourself, you need to show some sort of efficacy, like some sort of way, that, some sort of study that has shown, okay, this particular supplement actually helps improve performance or whatever, right? So for them, they do have some sort of incentive to um, test the supplement. Now, whether or not those tests or trials are actually like legit, who knows, but they do have some sort of incentive to, to want to show that particular drug is actually useful. All I know is that like in the States at least you can market things under a proprietary blend um, meaning you don't need to show the full ingredients of anything that you sell. Mm -hmm. um, so that's pretty sketchy and that's part of the reason why I personally don't buy supplements because it's like who knows what you're actually being fed. Like you can buy like uh, like a, a pre-workout that's cut with some some like stimulant that is technically illegal so who knows right like i, I personally don't go down that avenue it's yeah, it's definitely a gray area and like very sketchy Kira, you have mentioned keto diet before, and I really wanted to talk to you about it because um, it has become um, kind of a mainstream diet this year. Like, and I think the reason for it is social media and the fact that it was promoted by so many. I don't know if you have ever seen these signs on social media, like especially on Instagram, people post uh, these memes saying that avocados existed before, referring to the fact that um, everybody's buying them now, everybody's talking about it. So I guess my question to you is why it has become so popular and how does it, does it exactly work? Like, what is the essence of this diet? So for it becoming popular, I can't give any kind of concrete answer. I can just give what I would guess. Um, I think it kind of began to take off a lot with intermittent fasting. And a lot of that research started being popularized because intermittent fasting has been shown to help with aging. It helps with glucose and or glucose balance and insulin resistance. So it can be useful when people have diabetes or if people are overweight. There's a lot of medical implications for things like intermittent fasting, but then it got glorified to the public. So the public of course, like people on social media and whatnot can start glorifying something new. This is a thing commonly seen in pharmacology where a new drug or a new trend comes out and people see it as like the savior. Like this is the answer to everything. It is the best thing ever. And then eventually it turns out people think it's the worst. And then finally, in the end, everyone realizes it's just a tool that you have to balance with everything in life. So I think with keto, we're seeing that like initial trend of it being like looking like a savior. It's being effective for people who have diabetes and like people who are overweight, like intermittent fasting and keto. But 
when it comes down to it being a part of everyone's diet culture and the general public, that's not where it was originally started to, to be useful. I think diets are fads. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, nowadays keto is in, in it's, it's trending now, but a couple of years from now, it might go back to like a high carb diet or yeah. go to a high protein diet. Yeah, like, it's in like just the 90s, whatever. no one ate yeah. eggs. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe we'll go back to no eggs. Like, who knows? I mean, diets are tools. Mm -hmm. Some tools work for some people, some tools don't. Exactly. It's just you have to just try it yourself and survive. So from what I've read is that the core principle of this diet is changing, uh, is going into ketosis, which is basically changing the way your metabolism work and uh, turning on one metabolism mode and switching on to another one. I have also read that people that suffer from epilepsy tend to have less seizures if they follow keto diet. So from that, I don't know, we can basically say that by the way you eat, if you consume more fat, you can basically change the way your brain works which is mysterious which is really i don't know exciting but at the same time isn't it dangerous without absolute necessity doing that thing to your body yeah i i think yes um like kind of like I, I mentioned keto and things like intermittent fasting originally became popular because they're used for tools with people who have illnesses like you mentioned epilepsy and diabetes so in that situation, it's being prescribed by a doctor, mm -hmm. right? Like you're under some kind of regulation where the general public is just doing it by themselves. They aren't getting medical advice. They are just doing it. There's many things that can go wrong. Like, for example, um, a lack of carbs in the keto diet means that you hold on to water less. So you drink a lot. You need to drink a lot of water. Um, some people become dehydrated really easily when they go on long runs and stuff like that on keto. Another aspect is um, with, with holding on less water and without carbs, you also kind of start to mess with your salt balances, so your ions. So you start getting, you can get nausea and like woozy because your ion balance is all messed up in your body because that homeostatic balance is kind of thrown off. And if you're someone who's uneducated on the biology of this and who aren't seeking medical advice during this, you might get these headaches and you might feel all nauseous and weird, or you might try and go for a run without the proper like, preparation, and you're not going to have a fun time. I don't know if it'd be anything too detrimental or not. I've never experienced that, but you're, you're not going to have a fun time and it can really impact you. Um. I personally have never tried keto, but it sounds miserable. <laughs> yeah. There's like a thing called the keto flu. I don't know if you heard, like, did you yeah, read that at all? No, so no. what I said, like with the whole ion thing, uh, people describe it as going through a keto flu. Like the first couple weeks when you start adapting to this new lifestyle and if you're doing it correctly, you get, it's like a flu. Like you get like a cold because your body is just like, what the heck is going on? because everything is being thrown off. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to die if that makes me feel like that. I felt that it wasn't very good. I got really tired. Um, but if you're someone who medically needs this, it's that that's worth it. But if you're someone who doesn't, like, why would you put yourself through that and potentially, yeah. like, mess yourself up in the long run? I, I think a lot of these things, there are some long-term repercussions that we mm. don't, probably don't fully understand. Yeah, it's true. Um, and I, I personally can't speak about the keto diet, but... You know, if if you don't feel great, it's probably not worth continuing. And you know, for those people like 
epileptic patients that reduce uh, help reduce seizures. Like, you know, they prescribe that diet because there's nothing else they could really do, or mm -hmm. at least help them with those symptoms. But like, there are consequences to, to doing that specific diet. That you know, if you're like a you know quote unquote healthy person, like maybe you don't need to do something that drastic to if you have some goals to like lose weight or whatever. Or at least now with the current science. Because we, yeah. like, we, we don't know. We don't know. I think the simple answer is we don't know what, what really happens. Uh, the body is just so yeah. complicated. So. Throwing yourself headfirst into something dramatic like that without complete science being like, yep, in 10 years, you're going to live like 30 times longer than everyone else. Like, why do it? Like, why put yourself through something like that when right now the evidence and science says just eat, eat vegetables, eat some carbs, eat protein, and you're, and you're fine. Yeah. Like... I will say, like, I think just in general, I think the human body is like quite resilient. Like, it can take a lot of different inputs and take a lot of beatings. Um, but, you know, I, I think like we were not, it's not like we were evolved to just exist or persist only on fat. Like, you know, our ancestors ate berries, mm -hmm. like, we were omnivores. Um, so I think like millennia, or not even millennia, millions of years of evolution have kind of like Drew us towards that, so maybe there's a reason why we just should try to eat a lot of different sources of food. Yeah, so. exactly. I agree. And um, the last question for you today is: um, Well, we have already discussed that the majority of people probably will not go to seek professional opinion and uh, ask the doctor what to buy and what to do before actually buying some supplements from the store or just ordering them online. So my question is, what would you recommend for these people? What should they do in order not to harm themselves and the ones they love? Um, I guess, like, ask yourself truly, like, why are you making this decision? So if you're in a situation where you're considering a supplement or you're considering a diet, why am I doing this? Is it because I want to look good? Because, like, that's not a good motive deciding your health is it because you have a medical issue that you want addressed like okay maybe you need to get the full picture of this from your doctor you really have to take note about where your motivation is coming from and second like when you've decided to take the step further you need to be an advocate for your, your own health so not only relying on your doctor which you should you should go rely on your doctor but really educate yourself like don't just expect someone on the internet to have done that research for you like it Make sure that you're advocating for the best self you can be and, and educate yourself accordingly so you can do that. Ideally, you can go to your medical doctor and discuss what you're planning on supplementing or whatever, but realistically, you, no doctor's ever going to see you for that. So I think, you know, the internet's a wonderful thing. There are a lot of different resources out there, but, mm -hmm. and it can be quite overwhelming. Um, and, but on the bright side, there are many different voices and different opinions that you can kind of consult and and do your own research to try to figure out what you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I I err on the side of caution just because you don't really know what the intentions of the person are on the other side of the screen. Mm -hmm. um, so I typically, like as I mentioned before, I, like, I don't really take any supplements because I think with proper diet and sleep, I think it's not really necessary. Uh, um, and also, you save a lot of money. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, this was definitely an insightful conversation. And uh, I really hope that today's episode is going to reach out to our audience, clarifying lots of things up and raising awareness about the potential risks and danger of blindly trusting influencers on social media. Then, Kira, thank you so much again for sparing your time and talking to me today. I truly wish you luck and success in all the meaningful work that you do every day. I'm Christina Shedrina, reporting for Humber Views. Thank you.